Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. And hope you folks at home are doing well too, uh, watching us here at 1030. And listen, I, it occurred to me uh, in these last five days before Kyle gets married, probably the, the best thing you could do for him and find him today, tap him on the shoulder, give him your best nugget of marriage advice. If you're married, that's exactly what he needs as he uh, works through this chaotic week towards marriage. Just uh, give him some little nugget of wisdom. Some of you don't have a clue uh, about marriage yourself, but that doesn't matter. Just toss it his way. Tell you know, make it sound like it's super wise, and uh, I'm sure he'll appreciate that. No, we're looking we're looking forward to uh, that. And better than Kyle, we got Gianna, so that's that. Uh, we're excited about that too. So. Uh, hey, we're into week two of this simple series, and I, I don't know, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to uh, go back and listen to uh, Peter's uh, message last week, because uh, one thing I just really appreciated about what I heard last week was the clarity it provided. If, if you've been attending First Baptist, or you're, you're part of our fellowship here, or if you're even if you're new here, and you wanted to get a glimpse of hey, what, what are we about as far as moving people towards discipleship? It couldn't be any clearer than what you heard last week and what uh, Peter's hoping to unpack over these uh, next few weeks as we walk through this together. So I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to it. It just gave, even for myself, just more and more clarity about, hey, this is what we want to do as a church. Here's the outcomes that we're looking for as we think about moving people towards discipleship. And here's the thing, when we, when we toss this word disciple around, if you've been around church a long time, we talk about being a disciple, you talk about discipleship, and it's one of those terms that you, you kind of nod your head like, yeah, you know, I'm all about being a disciple, but it gets, it gets tossed around so much that if, if I was to pull you aside and say, hey, give me, give me your best two-sentence definition of discipleship, you might be going, uh, I don't know. And there might be some, you know, well, it's a follower of Jesus, which would, wouldn't be wrong. Uh, that would be uh, definitely part of it. But it, it's one of those words that gets, we, we toss it around without really knowing exactly uh, what we're uh, meaning by it. So our hope, uh, not just today, but even in moving forward, is that it will be more and more clear to you uh, what it is and what it means uh, to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And I would even toss this out as a potential definition for discipleship. And just trust me, there is not just one definition that works, but uh, try this on. I, I see a disciple as a born-again follower of Jesus who is being changed by the message of Jesus and who is committed to the mission of Jesus. So I've been, I'm being changed by who Jesus is and I'm committed to his mission in the world. And really, if you look at Matthew 4.19, Jesus, when he was calling his disciples, what did he say to them? He said, come follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. So there's this following aspect, there's this change aspect that Jesus wanted to make them into fishers of men, which was Jesus' mission to go and reach the world uh, for, uh, for himself, for the kingdom of God. So when we think about that, I want to make two really important observations about discipleship, and I want you to hold on tightly to these because they're, they're very, very important. First is this, I do not find any place in the Bible where there is a distinction between, between being a Christian and being a disciple. I, I, I believe that there may be this mistaken idea of discipleship that, well, I'll become a Christian, I'll come to faith in Jesus, and then later I'll be more committed and I'll become a disciple. 
this is not biblical. This is not part of what Jesus talked about. I don't see it in any writing in the New Testament. When you came to Jesus, you became a disciple. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. Here's the second uh, little nugget I want us to hold on to. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is not an event that the church puts on. This is an intentional way of living your life. It's, it's, a, it's a choice that we're making uh, to follow uh, Jesus and to allow this transformation to happen in my life. We're not going to throw an event together and say, hey, come to this event, you'll become a disciple, and then we click it off. This is a lifelong process. So it doesn't matter if you're 85 or 25 this morning, there is discipleship happening in your life. You are growing more into this likeness of Christ that we're pursuing uh, together. So let me remind you of what uh, Peter talked about last week. Here's our discipleship uh, circle that, that he talked about. And we, he, he mentioned that at one point everyone is a first-time attender. That might even be you today. You're here for the first time. And then at some, you know, we, we hope that eventually you become a regular attender. And then as we walk through this wheel together, what, it, what discipleship looks like, you're going to see small groups on that wheel. And so that has fallen to me today. So I'm just going to tell you up front, here's, here's my intention. My intention is to convince you in no uncertain terms that you need to be part of a group at First Baptist, all right? Now, and I know, here's, here, can I just be completely honest? I've got more time second hour than I had first hour, so you're going to get a few little things that the first hour didn't get. Here's the thing. I've been doing this for like 35 years, and every time I get a chance to promote something, whether it was with students or adults, I, I stand in front of them and I say, who would not want to do this? Who would not want to be a part of a small group? I think this is the most life-impacting thing. There's nobody sitting here this morning that when I'm done giving my little spiel here and giving you the biblical uh, foundation for a small group, there's, there's nobody that would not want to be a part of a small group. Sure enough, there is. But if you, if, if you, you may find it hard to believe, but it's true. There's going to be people that aren't going to, uh, aren't going to do that. Uh, which, don't feel bad uh, if you're that person. I'm not, trying to make you, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing it. I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to be a little transparent this morning that here's the, here's the struggle. I'm passionate about this. It means a lot to me because I know what it's done in my life and how it's impacted my life. So let me give you a little bit of a foundation for why I think this is so important. Because as I've looked around at my, at my own life and I've watched the lives of other people, I have seen certain catalysts, certain things that lead to transformation in people's lives. And so I wanted to start this morning by kind of giving you a, a biblical foundation for how transformation happens. What's the process? How has God established it? And then I want to try to convince you that small groups is the best platform to see that transformation happen in your life. So here are the catalysts. Here are the things that I believe move us towards life change. We're going to find them in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible this morning, please find Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at a, a big hunk of uh, the, that uh, chapter this morning. And I'll just let you know in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, what we've got is this. Jesus has uh, uh, been resurrected. He's been walking the earth for a few weeks and he's ascended uh, into heaven with the promise that he is going to send the Holy Spirit who is going to guide, who's going to convict, who's going to uh, remind the people of the things that Jesus has been teaching. So the Holy Spirit has been promised by Jesus. And sure enough, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit shows up with power. 
the, the followers of Jesus uh, get this supernatural ability to speak in other languages. And so people from all over the world are hearing the good news of Jesus in their own language as God gives them the ability through the Holy Spirit to do this. And so this is what's happening. And a crowd is being drawn. They're seeing these, these uh, men whose lives are being changed and God is using them. And then Peter stands up, the apostle Peter stands up and preaches a sermon. And it's an incredible sermon. He pulls some Old Testament uh, scriptures and basically wants to convince the people that are listening uh, to what God is doing and hearing what God is doing that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So I want to pick up in Acts chapter 2 at verse 36. So if you'd look at verse 36, I think it will be on the screens here for you as well. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With, any, with many other words he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So this, uh, Peter preaches this message. People are convicted that they, they need to do something. They're recognizing something is going on here. And, then, and Peter points them to the person of Jesus, encourages them to repent, be baptized, and recognize who the Lord is. So let's look a little bit uh, deeper into how this transformation or how this change of heart happens and how God uses it. The first thing we're going to see, the first catalyst that I want to point us to is a commitment to Scripture. That this is really not a negotiable. Life transformation into a life of Christ-likeness is centered in the Word of God. It's, it's, that's where it's got to start. That's where it's got to end. We want to be committed to, to Scripture. In fact, if you'll notice when Peter was preaching this first sermon about who Jesus was, he was preaching to Jewish people, and what does he do? He reaches back into the Old Testament, which for them was not the Old Testament. It was the Bible. He reaches back into their scriptures and pulls out scripture to convince or to affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's committed to the Word of God. He's committed to scripture, and we recognize that that's how God, one of the ways that God is revealing himself to us is through his Word. We've got to have a commitment uh, to the Word of God. Second catalyst, more specifically or more kind of focused in on this Word of God, is the power of the gospel. The gospel message, the, the message of who Jesus is. Peter zeroes in on that in his sermon. He points them right to Jesus. Let me uh, read uh, again from uh, part of Acts chapter 2. He says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The good news of the gospel that we find in Scripture is transformational. Those of you that have come to faith in Christ have recognized this very thing. Transformation starts with understanding who Jesus is. The gospel message 
of who Jesus is. So we've got a commitment to Scripture, and more importantly, the, uh, the, the, the gospel message in Scripture. Third catalyst is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You look back early in Acts chapter 2, and you can see the Holy Spirit coming in power. When, when the Holy Spirit is on the scene, He is pointing people right to who Jesus is. And, and we as believers, if you know the Lord today, if you've made that commitment of your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is living in you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in you, guiding, directing, convicting, teaching, reminding you of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to bring about, continue to bring about that transformation that God has begun uh, through the gospel. We've got a commitment to Scripture. We've got the power of the gospel. We've got the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then the last catalyst is God's mission, the mission of God in our life. Uh, we have not been saved. You have not been saved. You have not become a Christian just to sit. You are not saved to sit. If, if, if in your mind it was, hey, I'll come to Christ, I'll become a Christian, and then I'll just ride off into the sunset and wait for eternity, we're missing the point. We're missing what God has for us. God is changing us not just so that we'll be a happier person. Uh, certainly that's a byproduct of it. God's not changing us just uh, to make us more who he created us to be. That's certainly a byproduct of it, that what happens. God's transforming us because we are part of his mission to the world. He has left us here to be part of his mission. And this is the motivation. This is what motivates us to continue to do what we do. We're part of God's mission in this world. If you don't believe me, listen to what Paul said. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he's talking to a church, to a group of uh, Christians in Corinth, and he says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And listen to this. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God has left this ministry for us. This is part of why God is transforming us, is we are part of God's mission to the world. And we proclaim that in how we live. We proclaim that in what we say, how we think. This is part of what God has called us to do. So those are catalysts. These are, these are things that are going to bring about change in our life. And any wise person that would sit there and listen to this would go, hey, that sounds great. So then the next question that it begs is this. How do I, how do I as a Christian disciple, how do I best bring these four catalysts to bear in my life? How does this happen? How do I make these things uh, bear fruit in my life or set myself up to allow these things to uh, work in my life. Likewise, we as a church, as church leaders, we have to ask ourselves this question. How as a church can we best position our people to experience these catalysts or to begin to see this life change happen in their life? How can we help set our people up for that? These are great questions and I'm glad you're asking them. And the answer is this. It's I just want to see if you were hanging in there with me. All right. Here's the deal. Life transformation doesn't just happen. It does, it's just not something that we put on autopilot and it, and it just happens. Life transformation happens when we uh, work along with what God's doing in our life. There's a sense in which God is, we are cooperating with God. God's begun this transformation in our life. It's happening. The presence of the Holy Spirit is real in our life. 
But there is a sense in which we're in cooperation with what God's doing. We can't just sit here on Sunday morning and think it's, you know, I listen to a few good sermons or do my daily devotions and expect that that's all there is to it. These are, these are good and important things. But there's a sense in which we've got to respond to what God's doing and work along with what God's doing in our life. So let me, let me point you further into Acts chapter 2 and look at what happened after these people came to faith in Christ. Let's look at what happened in their lives. So I'm going to pick up at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. It says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we look at the, the this is the, just a snapshot of the infant church. The church is just getting started and you can see some of the catalysts that I've already mentioned are in place and these people are together. They're fellowshipping. They're uh, into the word of God and the Holy Spirit is present among them. And so we believe here at the First Baptist that the best platform, that, that this transformation that we're talking about happens best within a group setting. Let me put it this way. Transformation is the goal Groups are the tool. So the goal is transformation. We want to see your life changed more into the likeness of Christ. God wants to do that in your life too. We believe that groups are the place for that transformation best happens. And so I wanted to kind of illustrate, as, I was, as I've reflected on this and I've looked at like how this has happened in my own life, I was looking for an illustration that would kind of help bring this home and I came across this. Many of you have probably taken a trip up to the Sequoia uh, groves, right? I mean, if you live in Central California and you haven't done that trip yet, shame on us, right? I mean, it's one of the few things we can point to that when people start bragging about things they have in their area. We say, hey, we've got Sequoia trees. So if you've been up there, you've probably seen those are incredible uh, living things. Almost 300 feet tall, 3,000 years old, uh, just incredible size. But as I, was, as I came across this illustration, I, was, uh, I found out that the uh, average depth of roots on a sequoia tree is four to six feet. 300-foot tree, 275-foot tree, roots are four to six feet deep. But they are 150 to 200 feet wide. And one thing that we know about sequoia trees is they grow in groves. And the reason that it works so well is because their roots twine with one another and it provides the stability that they don't have because their roots aren't deep. They're intertwined and they support one another. And I started thinking that's a lot like what happens in a group. Is We hope we're going deep, by the way. Let me, the, every illustration is not perfect. Uh, there, are, there are illustrations they break down at places. So we want to go deep in our relationship with God. But one thing we do know is that we want to make sure that you're intertwined with other people. That you're getting support, encouragement. That you're being challenged. That you're being helped by those that are around you in a group. So we need that from one another. We need to be intertwined uh, with one another. So I want to give you kind of, uh, 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 I want to cheerlead, I want to uh, groups a little bit here, and I want to tell you why we think it's so important 
uh, here at First Baptist. And the first is this, that uh, I believe that groups provide a strategic culture of community. I want to unpack that a little bit for you, but here's the thing. We, we serve a God, we know a God who actually is in community himself. I'm not going to go into the whole deep theology here, but when we think about the Trinity, I would say this. I would say the Trinity was the very first small group because we've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally in relationship with one another, in community with one another, and God created us as human beings with a need for relationship. Because let's be honest, we pursue relationship, we pursue groups even outside of the church. I mean, our pastor stands up here most Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings, not every Sunday morning, and proclaims that he's a giant fan, right? And so he's, he's pushing himself into a group right there. And those of you that are Dodger fans or some other fan are saying, no, we're, this is the group that we're in. So we, we automatically, we naturally gravitate to groups, right or wrong. And I'm not going to say which is right or wrong on that. But here's the deal. We're created to be in that kind of relationship. And, and the most important thing I think for us to recognize as a church is this. As great as it is to be a Giant fan or a Dodger fan, it takes very little commitment to be one of those, right? You just have to like a certain team, follow them, you know, know some statistics and know where they stand in the league and everything's good. When we talk about being a follower of Jesus and our Christian faith, we're obviously talking about something that has a lot more at stake than just being the fan of a professional sports team. But we're, but we're created to be in that kind of relationship. And I use the word strategic for a reason because I really believe that there's going to be all sorts of reasons that we come up with for not doing it. We're going to convince ourselves it's not that important. We're going to say, you know what, I'll do it another time when my schedule allows there's going to be all sorts of ways that even I believe, and I don't, have, I don't have to probably convince some of you this, the devil doesn't want you to be in group life. He doesn't want you to have that kind of support in your life. So there's going to be all sorts of reasons that are going to push you away from doing the very thing that God's created us, the kind of relationships God's created us to have. And so we want to be strategic about it. We want to, we want to be careful that we're intentional about it because it is uh, that important. And so we want to uh, recognize that groups provide that kind of uh, community in our life. And it, it does. It provides a, a platform for us to uh, go deeper with one another. And so that's the second big idea is that it's kind of a movement from rows into circles. And so this morning we're sitting here in rows and we're facing one direction and we're listening to one person t- talk back uh, to you. It's kind of a monologue. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a, there's a good place for that. And it's super important that as the community of faith at First Baptist, we're together as a group. We need that. We want to worship together. We want to sing together. That's all important. But when we get into a group, we move out of a row into a circle. We're facing one another. We're uh, allowed to be a little bit uh, more honest. It becomes a dialogue instead of a monologue. And I realize as, as soon as I say that, there's some people that are, are going to say to themselves, hey, that's not for me. I, I'm just not, I don't want, I'm not a huggy-feely. I don't want people touching me. I don't want to know people that well, and I don't want people to know me that well. And I understand that. I, I understand that, that that's a tension that we're up against. I just want to encourage you that your group will be patient with you. It's still important for you to be a part of that. Uh, and and it's a, it will be a challenge, but I want to encourage you. It will move us in, in that movement from rows to circles 
it's going to help us know each other better, and it's going to push us and encourage us uh, further on. And, and let me just say, growth is not always fun, right? Growing in, in real life can be painful. Growing in our spiritual life can be painful. We're asked to do things that are not always, we're not always comfortable with. If your God is always telling you something that you already believe or you already think is right or is easy for you, you may be listening to yourself rather than listening to God. Because when we're growing, it's, there's going to be those painful and difficult times. And that is another reason why we need people alongside of us that are face-to-face with us, that are encouraging us along the way. And then the last thing I want to land on is something that Peter mentioned last week. It's this, this idea of growing from knowledge to obedience. One of the quotes that Peter used last week was, most of us are educated beyond our obedience. In other words, we know quite a bit about our faith, but we haven't spent a lot of time living out in obedience our faith. And this is another place that as a group we can begin to encourage one another, not just to know it in our head, but believe it in our heart, and it was going to move into how we live our life. I used the example of my good friend Dave Stout at the first hour as he was sitting out there. If you don't know Dave, uh, you've probably seen him. But one thing I've, I've enjoyed about Dave over the, the last few years is I've watched him embrace the idea of obedience in his life because he'll be asked or God will prompt him through another person or something will happen, and, and he'll say, you know what, God's asking me to do this, and it's, He's totally uncomfortable with it. One thing was to give his testimony in front of the church a few years ago. It's the last thing he ever wanted to do. But he knew, but he knew it was the right, he knew that God was prompting him to do it, and he needed to take that step of uh, being obedient. And time after time, I've seen him respond that way. And I just use that example to say it, it can be done. It's, it's difficult, it's a challenge, but we need to move beyond just knowing what is right or what God is doing in our life to actually doing it, living obediently, and your group can help you uh, to do that. So as I was reflecting on groups in my own life, I just wanted to share with you how they've been essential for me, how I've seen them impact my own life. Because I can remember back when I was in like third or fourth grade, the church that I attended, we would walk into Sunday school and there would be a big lady sitting at the piano and we would sing a couple of songs, and then someone would stand up in front of us, and we'd pass around an offering thing, and we'd drop our offering in there, and then we would get up and we would move to a, another classroom where we would sit with a Sunday school teacher with five or six other people that were in my grade, and we would hear Bible stories, we would study uh, God's Word. And I distinctly re- remember that. I, I remember as a high school and into college student that my youth pastor would come um, meet with me weekly, and he, we would go through the basics of Christian theology together as I was learning what it meant to be a leader uh, in, in the youth group. So he would come and sit down with me, and, and we would do that on a weekly basis. I remember as a young adult, not long after I was married, there was a group of us uh, guys that would drive early in the morning to one of the guys' house. We'd go in and uh, do uh, Bible study together and have prayer together, and we, we would do that every week. Um, just this last Thursday, I was at Lee Pritchard's house with a group of men, and we were reminded about God's faithfulness from the book of Hosea as we were um, studying together. And some of those guys I've been meeting with for close to 20 years, uh, 
each week we sit and we study and we encourage each other. And then I was reminded uh, last Wednesday night, uh, my my good friend Jerry and I uh, talk on the phone or meet in in person uh, once a week again to just hopefully encourage one one another to a deeper walk of faith and challenge each other about uh, places that we need to grow. And so this kind of thing... The, the reason that I'm uh, passionate about it is because I've seen what it's done in my own life, how I've experienced it in my own life. So my encouragement to you is this. I want to kind of land this with some real specific things that hopefully will uh, resonate with you. But for, I, the first thing, obviously, that we want you to know is we want you to be involved in a group if you can. And so what we've done is we've tried to make it as easy as we can for you uh, to do you can do it. You can find out what's available on our website. You can use the church app. And even this morning on your way out, we've got tables set up where we've got some small group leaders. And I didn't do this first hour, but I, th- I think I want to do this. If you happen to be one of our small group leaders and you're sitting in here this morning, I would, would you mind standing up so that we can identify you so at least people know who you are? I'm, a small, I'm leading a small group. We've got two or three other people here. There were some at the first hour. Um, so thanks for doing that. Look for them out there. Here's what I want to give you. Um, okay, you can, you can be seated. I, I, one of the things that, uh, to help you navigate on your way out here, uh, one of the things we want you to know is not every answer is going to be found out there, but if you are interested in a group, you can ask some questions. Look on the website. Um, those, those sheets out there will give you some direction on uh, what days groups are meeting, and if you've got questions, you can reach out to me. I would love to help you find answers on how you can get involved in a group because we've got things f- for all ages. Some of those might be directed at couples, some are individuals, some are men, some are women. You can get those answers out there, and you can find a place to get uh, plugged in, and we would encourage you to do so. Secondly, we want to let you know about our Wednesday night schedule. Peter mentioned this uh, last week that on September 8th, our Wednesday night uh, schedule is coming back, so we're going to have dinner here on Wednesday nights at 5.30 until 6.15, and then we're going to have groups for adults that are happening here on Wednesday night. We've also got, uh, Stephanie's got stuff for kids from nursery all the way up through fifth grade, and Danny has uh, stuff for junior higher, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade on Wednesday night. So there's stuff for kids all the way through eighth grade, and so hopefully that eliminates the child uh, care issue uh, that happens with some people in groups. And so uh, if you've got questions about the Wednesday night schedule, I'll be out there this, uh, this afternoon, this morning, and I uh, can help you uh, answer those questions. But Wednesday night's a place where you can plug in regardless of your age. And then we've got what we call not Wednesday groups. So we've got Wednesday groups and then we've got not Wednesday groups. And so those are groups that are happening on different uh, days and nights of the week. And again, that information is out there. It's also available in the group description at each spot. So we've got some that are during the day, some that are in the evenings, and they're on different days of the week. And hopefully you can find one that works for you. Uh, if you are interested, if you say, hey, I can't find anything that works for me, or if you, you're thinking, hey, I'm interested in leading a group, then I'm the person that you need to talk to. I would love to talk to you about that. We can get that uh, started with you as well. We want you to find a spot to connect with some others. And the last thing related to groups is coming in October, uh, we have a a series of equipping groups that we offer. uh, And these are short-term, 
uh, six or eight weeks long, and we've got two coming in October. Dave Fox is going to be leading uh, one called Christian Basics, which is just what it sounds like, uh, Basics of Christian Faith, and uh, runs about eight weeks. And then Ellen Weaver is going to be offering financial peace. And our equipping groups are uh, more topical in, in how they're put together, but it's a good introduction about uh, the importance and how groups work uh, in general. And so we would encourage you to uh, find one of those. Listen, we've understood this. As we're coming out of the whole COVID thing and people have been isolated and bit by bit we've been opening back up, we've heard time and time again that people are looking to be connected with one another. That was one of the beautiful things about last Thursday with our senior adults is just their opportunity to be together. They hadn't been together for uh, quite some time, so it was, it was wonderful. And we know that people are looking for that. We also know that you're as busy as you've ever been, uh, some of you. But I really believe this is an opportunity for you to make a decision for yourself, for your family, for your marriage, as far as this is what we're going to value. This is what's going to be important to us. This is where we're going to invest our time. And I don't think there's any better place that you can invest your time than in a group with other people like-minded trying to pursue the Lord together. So I would encourage you to do that. Let me pray for us. God, I'm grateful for the fact, first of all, that you want to see our lives transformed, that you provided the vehicle through your word, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the, the gospel message of Jesus to, to see our lives transformed. And God, I'm grateful that you've given us one another, that you've provided the platform of, of group life that will allow us to share our struggles, share our successes, and, and encourage one another along this path. So God, I'm grateful that we can do this together. I thank you for this church, just the local expression of your body here and what we desire to do to see people come into a, in a relationship with you and then grow deeper in their faith. And so to that end, uh, this morning, if you've never made that decision, it start, transformation starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and it really starts with acknowledging, admitting uh, that we that we need the Lord in our lives. So the prayer would sound something like this. God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that, I, that I've messed up my life, that I need a, a Savior, and, I, and that I believe, uh, Jesus, that you are that Savior. That you've come, that you lived, that you died, that you rose again so that I could have a new life, a new relationship with God, and that, see, I choose each day to follow you that's where transformation starts. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. I thank you for many that have made that decision. And I'm also grateful for those that have continued that walk of faith. And that, God, I just pray that we would be known as a church that wants to see people come to know you and, and that we would be known as a church that wants to see people grow deep in their faith. So help us to be that kind of church. Help us to be that kind of people. God, would you bless us as we head out this week that we would recognize that we're ambassadors of yours, that we represent you uh, to the world. And that people would look at our lives, they would see how we live, they would recognize a change and that they would want to be a part of it. Would you draw people to yourself through us? We thank you for the privilege of knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.